Welcome to the Home Hour. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Graham. We're two moms aspiring to create elegant spaces and gracious homes while dealing with real life schedules, budgets, and children. Stick with us and we'll share and show what we know, what we've learned, where we've messed up, and how to fix it. For everything we can't make up, we'll bring in the best experts we can find. Put on your big girl clothes. We're adulting today. Not only that, we're getting gracious. We're catching up with one of the most influential authors of our day. I mean, seriously, people, she invented a new word. And we're learning what it takes not just to navigate the world as an adult, but to navigate with graciousness and kindness. Plus, why houses should batch their owners, how to truly enjoy the pleasure of your own company, and why waking up with a gummy bear smushed to your cheek is still a classy move. All that and more on today's episode of The Home Hour. Welcome home. Welcome home, Graham. Welcome home, Kirsten. And welcome everyone to The Home Hour. We have a really fun episode today. We're talking to one of the authors that both Graham and I have actually like personally admired from afar for a long time. We both read her work. We both felt like it really influenced us to change the way we live. So it's super exciting to get to share her with you guys today. We're going to be talking to Kelly Williams-Brown about her books that she's written, Adulting and Gracious. So we're going to get to all of that in a minute because we have so much good stuff today, but we're so grateful because we have a sponsor today. Yeah, thank you, KindVars. I think the best way to kind of dive into this neat offer that we have is just to see if anyone out there has ever tried a kind bar because there are a lot of granola bars these days. There are a lot of bars and snacks out there, but kind bars are truly above and beyond and they stand on their own. My husband is obsessed. My children are obsessed. You might've seen them in your local grocery store, coffee shop, gym, and they're just delicious, healthy snacks using whole ingredients you can recognize and pronounce. And if you're thinking of trying some of these healthy snacks, we've got a kind of great deal for you. You can try kind bars for free and all you have to do is pay shipping. So when you order a sample box, you'll get to try the Kind Snack Club and you'll receive monthly snacks at a discount and get members-only bonuses. Right, so that's kindsnacks.com forward slash the home hour. Again, kindsnacks.com slash the home hour. And you get 10 bars for free, just shipping. I mean, it's so awesome. And I actually did join the Kind Snack Club. We've been talking about it for so long and I was in love with Kind Snacks. I would buy them all the time. I would go to the store and then I'm like, I keep talking about this Kind Snack Club. I've got to give it a try. And I did. And I'm so glad I did. It's just been one less thing to deal with, one less thing to do. And they come to your house and you can you know, cancel at any time. You can put it on pause if you're on vacation or if you're not eating them. Although I have found that supply and demand are certainly in line. If if anything, we eat more kind bars than even the kind snack club keeps up with because my family loves them. They're just so handy. Um, they're getting thrown into everyone's lunches. My kids have a ton. I don't know if you guys have this group. Do you guys, we have a ton of noon dismissals where they say, don't pack your kids a lunch, but pack a healthy snack. And I feel like kind bar is kind of that perfect snack to get them from 8 a.m until noon like it's just enough and it's healthy and then also mommy likes her kind snacks too so um it's kind of a win-win-win so we have really enjoyed being in the kind snack club it's really if you're even thinking about it you know just give that sample box a try and uh and yeah it's a great thing makes life a little bit easier so we're big fans thank you kind snacks for your sponsorship we have enjoyed our membership at the kind snack club We certainly have. Remember, kindsnacks.com forward slash the home hour. And I think it's time we introduce our fantastic guest today, Kelly Williams Brown. I have adored her for a while. And I think maybe some of our listeners have probably used her word before without even knowing that she was the creator and author or the creator and engineer of this word. So if you've ever said, I'm hashtag adulting, or you've said I'm adulting right now. Or you've said I don't want to be adulting right now, but I am adulting right now. Right. That's her. She has created a new concept, but in addition to her book, Adulting, which was fantastic and a New York Times bestseller and translated into multiple languages, she wrote a book called Gracious. And that's really what resonated with us because. It was not just the art our of life, creating. Our life is too much adult, like, right? Like, we're over that. <laughs> like, yeah. 
So something about the read children just is like, mm, yeah, I'm an adult. It's official. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need a word. Well, I don't need it's a funny verb. that you say that because obviously when I was doing research um, to see about, you know, adulting, there's now a new hashtag called unadulting. So <laughs> everything people up. are trying to do to undo being good parents, I guess, or doing whatever it is we're supposed to be doing. So mm-hmm. We have really enjoyed getting to interview and talk to Kelly. She has a beautiful view on what it means to be a gracious person and the ways that just kind of your outlook really doesn't necessarily even affect you, but affects the world around you. For sure. And hey, Graham, I want to say you actually introduced me to Kelly and you introduced me to the whole concept of adulting and gracious living and, or not gracious living, but the book gracious. Um, and since I read the book and since we did our interview with her, I've been, I've been so busy. I'm going out of town tomorrow and just one of those couple of days where I have a million things to do. I have just so much on my plate and I just am running through life and meeting with a million people every day, you know, salespeople and, you know, just, just quick interactions that you would normally just like try to get done, check off your to-do list, check off your to-do list. And I have to say, like having read the book and having talked to Kelly, I'm like, gosh, every person I meet how I'm going to leave them is important, you know? And, uh, it's really like, honestly, like it's had a profound effect on me and I've been telling people about the book. And I feel like when you read a book and you kind of can't stop thinking about it and you kind of can't stop telling people about it, I think that's the sign of something really special. And I think that's a sign that there's something deep in there that you really got to undig. So I'm, I'm super grateful that you introduced me to the book and I'm super grateful that we have the chance to talk to her because it's truly changing the way I interact with people. Um, and that's, I guess, my hope for this interview is that it would do that for you. And I cannot encourage you enough to pick up this book. Um, really a good, good read. It's a good read. It's funny. You laugh a lot, but at the end you kind of come away feeling like a better person or you have the ability to be a better we person or at least I cried. Both of us. We right? actually cried, which is we amazing. Did. Why do you cry? <laughs> you didn't expect to cry, but it was, it was really well done. Yeah. We'll talk about it in our interview with Kelly. So enjoy the interview. Thanks to all for listening and enjoy the interview with Kelly. Okay, we are beyond excited. We actually have Kelly Williams-Brown here with us. Kelly, welcome to the Home Hour. We are so thrilled you're here. I am so excited to be here. Thank you all so much for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you, Kelly. I, this has been a long time. I have so many questions for you. This is hope. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have a good time today. Yeah. But let's get a few things out of the way. We just need, we're going to talk about your most recent book, but we need to talk about the genesis of the hubbub that is behind Kelly Williams Brown, because <laughs> your first book, Adulting, basically you created a new verb. You made a new word. So I don't understand why you're still working and why you're not retired somewhere just sitting on a beach. Like, so basically for everyone listening, Kelly's first book, Adulting, How to Become a Grown-Up in 468 Easiest, Easiest Steps easy-ish steps, uh, was a New York Times bestseller, an international sensation. It's been translated into over nine languages. People hashtag the heck out of you. Um, so I think you're at like 1.3 million hashtags for the word adulting. And basically you as a young adult (laughs) have taught people how to be an adult. And so you've done it all by being incredibly funny, self-effacing, and you're incredibly, incredibly real and relatable. So can you set the stage for us a bit and how, as a journalist, you decided to put together this hysterical pocket manual for a generation of kiddos? Well, first off, thank you again for all that. It's it is kind of crazy to invent a word, although I'm not going to lie, that was a childhood dream. And apparently, I'm not kidding. I was a very, very cool child, as you can imagine. And um, I think it actually might end up in the dictionary, which is ridiculous, because even the first time I said it, I was like, oh, that's really annoying. But people will remember it. Uh, And honestly, the idea for the book was, you know, I, I sort of embarked on it when I was 27. And it really was a reporting project. But I just wanted a book that would have been helpful when I was 20, 21, 22, I was really lucky to have these amazing, they were not old, they were older friends, you know, who were between like 27, 32 um, at my first job. And they would, it was like an after school special. It'd be like, today, we're all going to learn why we need to cook our chicken, Kelly. Um, and they would just like, so 
and so lovingly shepherd me through that time. And, you know, actually one of them, my friend Rachel, uh, gave me what was such a gift when I, I was 22 and I think I was in her car crying about something, uh, unclear what I would have been crying about. It could have been any number of things because my entire life was, uh, are, are we allowed to say the S word? Is that, a, is that permitted? Yeah, sure. I think you could do it. Totally. We will bleep it out. <laughs> yeah, my life is a show. I mean, in the grand tradition of 22 year olds, like much of my furniture had literally dissolved in the rain uh, when I tried to move. So I was crying about something in Rachel's car and she said, look, nobody tells you this, but this is a really hard time. And it's not hard because you're stupid and it's not hard because, you know, you've been raised by savages and it's not hard forever, but it's hard for now. And you just have to go through it and it's okay. And you just do it one step at a time. And she was so right because, you know, for a lot of us who sort of have maybe grown up with the assumption we're going to go to college, do the four-year thing, you know, for all of our lives up until this moment, it's been very structured and very obvious. And you get a syllabus and you know what is going to happen during, you know, in each week of class, right? And you're getting constant feedback. And then all of a sudden you're just out in the world, messing everything up and running out of toilet paper all the time. Right. Uh, You're so true. That is a stage of life where... That, yeah, it's like I just kept waiting for this. I mean, the syllabus, that's brilliant. It's just like you went to 10th grade and then it was 11th grade and you were getting constant marks, letting you know how you were doing it. All of a sudden, all the marks were gone and it wasn't just one choice. You're wow. Yeah. You well, you really obviously hit a nerve and you found a need and adulting was a smashing success. So congratulations um, on doing that and all those people you inspired. But Graham and I today want to talk about your latest book, um, just because it's so kind of in line with the stuff we talk about on the home hour. And that is gracious. And first of all, the cover is just beautiful and adorable and funny and lovely. Um, But it just really resonated with us. And what what kind of made you want to take this next step to not just being an adult, but now like adulting 2.0, like we're going to do it. We're going to do it well now. Right. Totally. And, you know, that was really kind of my thinking process is, okay, now that hopefully your sort of interior life is in order, how do we take that out in the world and sort of make the world a more comfortable and lovely and pleasant place? Because I think, unfortunately, the world is many things. It is not always those as much as one might hope. Uh, it's it's not always a comfortable place. And, you know, when I was growing up in the South, there were these women who were just like such North stars to me. And and to this day, I mean, it's it's not about growing up in a particular place. Like just those supremely elegant women who just move through the world like with such comfort and assuredness. And then they in turn give that to others. Like they, they're the kind of people who make you feel elevated when you're with them. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. Well, we, com- we completely know. I mean, yeah. that's what I think we all aspire to be. And what I loved about Gracious was, yes, you had some very handy bullet point specific nuts and bolts how to's, but it was almost more like about a philosophy and about like cultivating a way of life. You know, there was sort of like diets are not about eat this or eat that. It's about a lifestyle. And I feel like, you know, as a silly as an analogy as that is, it's sort of, you know, um, a gracious lifestyle. I just loved it. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it's again, you know, I think we live in a time when everything goes so fast, you know, and it's like you, it's hard to just be present with someone to just like have a friend over and really like have quality time with them. Um, or even just take the time like while you're sort of walking in your neighborhood to really notice things to maybe, you know, strike up a conversation with someone who seems friendly and interesting. But I think when you slow yourself down and you try to sort of bring, I I don't know, like a bemused kindness to the world, um, you really get that and more back very quickly. Right. It's almost some sort of karma idea, right? You're putting out these good vibes. I think you had an analogy in the book, um, kind of one of the people you interviewed. She talked about almost leaving a trail of gold dust behind her as every interaction she had was like a little trail of a sparkle of gold or something along those lines. And, you know, rather than looking back at kind of the trail of devastation that I often leave in my wake, um, You know, you, and me both. <laughs> you know, and it just happens because um, you're just moving through life. But you write eloquently about, you know, moving through and really thinking about the person who maybe has 
cut you off driving or the person who rings you up at the checkout counter at the gas station when you just need a Sprite. And I think that's something that we try to get across as As far as just being the type of interactions we have on a day-to-day basis. But I think maybe, can you shed some light on how being gracious is necessarily different from having good manners? Well, I think it's, it's a lot of it is, I guess, I think graciousness is sort of like the interior motivation and maybe those good manners are sort of like external markings of that. You know, um, as my darling friend Lizzie would say, you know, etiquette is about, you know, honesty, kindness, compassion, respect. And I think graciousness is about all those things. And it's about just really seeing the person who's across from you as a person, just like you are, which is so hard to remember, right? That, that every human is just as human as I am. Um, it's, it's, uh- Really? I have a side note for you. Okay. Cause you just referenced Lizzie and I'm going to out you in that you were referencing Lizzie post who we also had on this show. And I remember one of the first questions I had for her, you know, was as the great, great granddaughter of Emily post, were you allowed to like put your feet up on the table and were you allowed to like say curse words? And did you have to put your napkin on your lap? All that. But now I have a really interesting question for you, Kelly, because you have in a way created, you are the author of the initial book on graciousness. How do you feel moving through? Because like, I remember Kirsten and I were wondering, you know, is this interview going to happen? Is it going to go on? And I was like, oh, it's going on a hundred percent. She is gracious. There is no question about it. Like Kelly is on our show. I mean, do you feel like now you have to hold yourself to an even higher bar that you've created? I mean, yeah. I mean, the combination of if your first book is about how to be a grown up and your second book is about like how to be a decent human being, then right. you shot right. yourself in the foot. Oh You're my screwed. God. Yeah. No, people are like, I mean, number one, it's like anytime I do anything that I consider completely understandable, like maybe just maybe I was eating some gummy bears in the middle of the night and <laughs> One of them landed on my cheek. And then in the morning, my fiance was like, didn't you write a book on this? And I'm like, get out of here. I, we don't. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it is, I, I always point out to people that, you know, part of the reason I write these books are that these are things that I want to do, want to cultivate within myself, you know, and, but also beyond that, like, I just like every person in the world has to acknowledge, I, I have to acknowledge that, you know, if I could write a book that would teach you how to be a grown up 100% successfully all of the time, then I would be on a private island. Do you know what I mean? Like it, all of us are doing our best, as my granny Barb would say. And and sometimes our own best is not what we want it to be. So, you know, it. I try very hard to be a grown up, and I try very hard to be gracious. But then I also cut myself some slack. Of course, as you should. And that's, I think, the goal. And I think that's the the reason that your book is just so funny. I mean, you read it and you just laugh the entire way through and everyone gets it. But let's dive into that a little bit um, and just kind of talk about some of the nitty gritties. You know, you talk about different acts, you know, parts of being gracious. And I, I want to talk about something that I've noticed more. And that's kind of the 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 act of RSVPing these days. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but I notice that people don't take their commitments to things as seriously as maybe they once used to. So, um, do you have any guidance for that? That seems like a simple area, but it, it play, comes into play a lot of times. Like people bail at the last minute on children's birthday parties, or, you know, you'll have a dinner for 15 and, you know, someone will bail out. Like what, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think the first thing that we all need to do a better job of, and that this may sound surprising is just learn to say no. If you don't want to go to something, if you're exhausted, if you're stressed, if it's maybe someone who is a lovely person, but you know, you're very busy and and you just kind of need some downtime. We always assume that if we say no to an invitation, that that is going to just ruin the evening. Like how can anyone possibly have any fun without us? What will actually, you know what I mean? Which is kind of ridiculous because I mean, with the exception of a few events like 
you know, if you are the bride at a wedding, yes, the event will be ruined if you're not there, you know, but (laughs) don't flake and bail. Although that's amazing. I've never seen that happen. I hate to say that's kind of on my bucket list too. That's so bad. That's so evil. I would love to see, well, sorry. I'd actually like to see someone at a wedding stand up and say, I object. Oh my God. Yeah. I would love that too. And also bad. So wrong. Now that we're talking about this, what I actually would really love would be if a bride did flake on her wedding, but not because she was like getting cold feet because, but she was just like, my throat hurts. I don't feel very good. I'm having a blah day. Was that today? <laughs> oh my gosh. I double booked. Sorry. So sorry. <laughs> Life happens. Um, <laughs> but no. Okay. So anyway, but getting back originally to the RTP thing, I think it's so much better to say, you know, I would love to, but I just can't, then to accept an invitation and then flake. And I have no idea why we think it's going to kill someone if we say no to begin with, but then they're going to be totally cool with on the night of us being like, eh, it's really important to RSVP. It's important to let people know. And even if maybe you get there and, and listen, I love flaking. Like there is like no finer feeling in the world than after I have made an appearance, it's something I need to go to. And then I'm bouncing out like, Oh, they mean the French goodbye. Uh, yes, precisely. You know, (laughs) like, you know, putting my keys in the car, turning it on, driving, just driving away. It's a great feeling, but like, it's so important to remember in most cases, you know, think about what this person is going through to put, put on this party. You know, they've spent time thinking about, who they want to come and like who they're hoping might meet each other among their friends. And they've gone to the grocery store and they've like thought about like what everyone would enjoy to eat or like looked up recipes. They've cleaned their house, even, you know, the parts of it that none of us will ever notice. And so when you look at that amount of effort versus just what is being requested of you, which is like show up wearing human clothes and a pleasant expression, you know, it's, it's just sort of inexcusable to not do it. Now there's one important exception. Um, and I will share this. This is only for the best of girlfriends, but it is such a powerful tool. I learned it from my friend Maddie, where she has a friend where when they make plans, they know that either one of them might flake out at the last minute and they're totally cool with it. A flake friend? A flake friend. I love I like that. that. I know. Mm. So if you are flaky and you have a flaky friend, then you can set this up and you could be like, look, let's make plans to get together. It's not important if either of us flakes. Okay, but can I say one thing, Kelly? So you don't have kids yet. I am Mm -hmm. not like a mama bear about anything other than like my children being flaked on like that because they their feelings get so hurt, right? You just did the, oh, it's like when someone said they were going to come and then they don't come and you're just looking at their eyes and you're like, I bought a pinata. Like, where are your friends? That is, that is like the one thing where like, you can flake on me. I'm okay. I get it. Life happens, but children don't get it. And part of that is also me being, being a good mom and having to teach my children, you know what? It doesn't always work out or whatever. But my biggest fear is flaking on other people's kids. Like every time a birthday party invitation comes, that's my big fear is like, you know, adults can handle a little disappointment, but you always just have that at least I have that guilt about flaking on kids and that oh kills me. There's another level of responsibility. Oh, totally. 100%. And you know, honestly, I am not yet in a place. I, I mean, I don't have kids and my friends who do have kids, they are one, two, three. So they don't really know if I'm at their birthday party or not. I go anyway, but oh yeah. Oh, that, well, especially because like, there's no more brutal feeling in the world than when it's 15 minutes until your party and you're like, is anyone going to come? And <laughs> to make that not just your own social anxiety, but this like protective, loving maternal thing for a tiny person who you cannot explain it to. Oh, brutal. Brutal. Okay. Let's move on to virtual grace because that is just such a big topic. It is. It is the internet, man. It is everywhere. And it is so very much itself. Right. So how can we show um, graciousness online or where where are we seeing the biggest offenders and how do we not let it bother us I mean I think the first thing that is so important to remember and it sounds so revolutionary is we get to choose you know it seems like having a Facebook profile like being a person who gets back to every single email within five minutes 
who is constantly updating everything, who's weighing in on everything. Like those are all choices that we make. And Mm. my friend, Alex, who I love, and she's just the most serene, like she's like Buddha has become incarnate and now lives in Portland and has like a really hot chef boyfriend. Um, (laughs) basically she has a great life, but I love her. Um, but she, she got super big on Twitter for a while, which was part of her career as a freelancer. And, you know, she amassed like literally, I think maybe even hundreds of thousands of followers. Like she was very popular, but at one point she started noticing how much time she was spending on it. Um, in terms of like composing a tweet, sending out the tweet, looking at the replies, blah, blah, blah. And then she made a calculation that was like, okay, of her awake hours, if she kept up at this rate with Twitter, she was going to spend nine years of her life on Twitter. Wow. That's really interesting. And she was like, that is not what I want my legacy to be. Well, and she's got a hot boyfriend. So why? (laughs) She's not tied to me on Twitter. Yeah, I would be. I think like more alive there. And of course they have like this beautiful, amazing apartment too. And I think they're just like more or less like always like sensuously chopping vegetables in a loft together. That's just what I imagine. (laughs) Um, With a perfectly poured glass of red wine. Oh my gosh. Yes. Can we link to her Twitter profile on the show? (laughs) Well, that's the thing. She quit. (gasps) She straight up quit. She straight up quit. Wait, she walked away from a hundred thousand (laughs) followers. Yeah. And when we're sitting here trying to figure out how we can pay like a farm, a farm in Bangladesh to like <laughs> click on our Instagram. No, link. we are not. But if no, you do want to follow us over at the home hour, we're on Instagram. <laughs> um, wait, so what was the problem? Was Did she just feel like it was taking too much time or was it, was uh, she, she, was she not feeling like it was like a worthwhile interaction or were people being, what was she tweeting well, about also? Um, you know, I'll be honest. I have never been much of a Twitter person. And so I think a lot of it was just like stuff that she had written, stuff that she was thinking about, like reaction to news of the day. But she said that the problem was that she found that her brain had gotten so loud and she felt like when she was with friends, she wasn't actually having quality time with them. And she didn't actually get like tons of hate or negative feedback or anything, but she just felt like giving all that time to the internet was not a worthwhile investment for her. Um, and for what it's worth, she's like booked out forever. But, you know, I think it's really also important to remember that if someone isn't saying something useful, you don't have to listen to them. And furthermore, like if someone is saying something that, you know, is terribly offensive and going to be upsetting to you, you just don't go, you know, and I use the example, like, granted, I'm, I'm from the South. I have Grown up with guns, I have guns in my house right now. I would not necessarily go to a meeting of like fully automatic firearms for everyone, even kids. Like in real life, if there were if that meeting were happening somewhere, I'd be like, that's not a meeting for me because I disagree with the premise, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but on the internet, like we could kind of lurk and creep around and kind of upset ourselves with that stuff. Right. And and also, you know, I I always have to remind myself because if you are a person and especially a female that exists on the internet, then you are going to get some really nasty vitriol. You just are, you know, and the one thing that has really helped me aside from just exposure over time and just getting a thicker skin is to think, okay, if I was walking down the street and someone were shouting these things at me, these crazy, crazy things that they're saying to me mm-hmm. online, I would like smile nervously and back away. And I'd be like, wow, I hope that person like gets some help because they are not the help they need. (laughs) No, and I'm not even saying that in like a snarky way. I like if, if someone was yelling at me on the street, things that people say on the internet about each other, you would think like, wow, there, there is a mental health crisis in this country. And (laughs) yeah, I remember, I remember I went back and visited my college maybe five or 10 years ago. And I don't know, some ambiguous time ago. And I stepped, I went into the bathroom stall of the ladies room and they had put up a flyer, you know, like the student center had put up a flyer that said, the internet is the new bathroom wall. And it was just, to me, you're right. Like the people who are so creepy and shady who write nasty things and like put up 
your phone number on the bathroom wall, you know, and say all the things you'll do are the same, you know, the same people who are writing these wackadoo things on the internet, but it just, so many more people can see it, right? Versus the five people who happened into that particular bathroom stall in the evening. Um, And that's always resonated to me of just be very careful um, as to what I put out there. And, you know, it, the internet is written in permanent indelible ink. You know, that is something we all need to remember. And it's, it's so easy and tempting to just fire something mean off, you know, and it, it feels cathartic for a second, but really you're, you're just adding to the garbage when you do that, you know, there's, there's so much of that. And, you know, my, my real thought is like, if there's something that like I deeply disagree with or I find offensive or unpleasant on the internet, then guess what? There are billions of other sites. And I also need to remind myself, like when someone's being really nasty and, you know, bathroom wall-esque, that person is not doing well. You know, you don't do that when your life is good. And um, one of my friends that I interviewed for the book used to be the head moderator for Reddit, which is um, a very peppery, shall we say, very, very large online community. And especially once the mostly male users realized she was a woman, she would get all kinds of stuff. And she just had to tell herself again and again, like, you don't know what's going on with this person. You don't know what's going on. Like, it's not about you. It's about them. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. And it just, it's like, it's like road rage. I don't know why road rage hurts my feelings so badly, but when someone screams a profanity at me, it flicks me off and I'm like, oh no, you don't understand. It was an accident. You know, like, and you know, obviously if, if someone is like a drunk driver or being, you know, really unsafe, that's a different story. But you know what I mean? If it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were turning left and, and I like, you want to like sit them. Oh, you just got to like, let it go. Cause it really does have an effect on you. And you just have to realize like you can only do you. Kirsten gets a lot of road rage, Kelly, because she's a horrible driver. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I, I can't hold it in. I'm sorry, but I've never vacationed or been with you when you have not gotten in a car accident. And I'm like, I'm sitting here. She's always talking about how upset she gets over road rage. And I've encountered it maybe like three times in my life. Someone's flicked me off and I probably deserved it. But I think Kirsten gets road rage at every single day. This isn't about me. Okay, never mind. Anyhow, let's talk about Amazing. I don't like, it seems like we're on some very tender, tender territory here. And this is a unique problem to Kirsten. Moving on. Um, being okay with being alone. Mm. I like that. That's one of your, that's a portion of one of your chapters. And I think that is so important. It kind of goes into the virtual section. It kind of moves that a little bit forward because oftentimes there's a lot of alone time being an adult. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And um, I remember, you know, I was a little bit of a serial monogamist in my younger days and also now. Um, And my mom, I remember at one point when I kind of just like gone from one serious relationship to another, she was like, I just think you need to learn to enjoy the pleasure of your own company. And that is something that I've really thought about a lot over time. Um, And you can, you can kind of almost be very audacious with it. one of my friends has talked about how she's like working very hard on treating herself as her own soulmate, mm-hmm. which sounds bananas, but she's like, that means that like when I'm thinking about myself, when I'm talking about myself, when I'm making decisions, I treat myself as, you know, a beloved person. And like, I would treat someone I was very in love with. And, you know, at the end of the day, like it it sounds depressing, but like we, we cannot necessarily rely on other people to make us okay. We, we have to be okay on our own. And, and, you know, there's a, um, a Zen Buddha saying like, you can't love what you need, Mm. which I, you know, that took me a while to think about, but I, I sort of think it's true. Like if you rely on how this one person makes you feel or, you know, makes you not have to think about this or that or the other thing, then that's not really love. That's a band-aid. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's just a way of, of not really feeling things. So I think just being able to sit with your thoughts, being able to not, you know, as soon as you sit down, like immediately pull out your phone and start playing solitaire, but, you know, just sort of quietly be is really a skill that we don't have. And it's an important one. 
No, absolutely. And I think from that stems self-confidence, personal self-confidence, which in turn leads to a gracious attitude toward the world. Because when you're confident, you can kind of bestow, you know, other good feelings onto others because you're not kind of turning things inward anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, the women that I interviewed for the book, I think sometimes people think of graciousness as just this person who, you know, doesn't have any wants of their own and just sort of solely exists as like a social Santa Claus or something. But the truth of the matter is that the people who are gracious do so because they are so deeply okay with themselves Mm -hmm. and comfortable in who they are. And one thing that I heard again and again from all sorts of different people that I interviewed for this was, you know, smiling is a really good thing. You know, if, and there's that, that whole thing about, it's frustrating when a stranger, especially you just like smile and you're like, I'm sorry, is my face not good for you right now? Sorry, bud. You know, and that's kind of a frustrating thing. But one thing that really turned me around was within one interview I was doing with Virginia, uh, who's a family friend. And she said, I wish I could do her accent. I'm going to butcher it. But she was like, well, here's how I see it. If you know who you are and what you're about and you're going through your day with purpose, I don't see why you would have a sour regard on your face. And I was like, oh, my God, Virginia. Southerners just say things better. I mean, but it's but the point. <laughs> I get your point, And it's, it's brilliant. It's I think it's right on. It's right on. And that and yeah. those, like that kind of wisdom is peppered throughout the book. And, you know, that also brings me to one of the things that Graham and I both like have not stopped talking about for a couple of days. Our favorite chapter in the book was Grace Under Fire. Um, And we just loved the idea that it's easy to be gracious when everything is fine. We're having a great day when you're in a great place when nothing's wrong. But it's where, um, gosh, you compared it to steel. And that, you know, really it was the fire that that revealed the steel. And um, it was just beautiful. Your stories, uh, your personal stories that you put in there, just describing that really when graciousness shines is when people are doing it regardless of if life is great or life is easy. They're doing it because that's who they are. So would you mind explaining that a little bit and then maybe also sharing the story of, of Mary Nixon Johnson? Because we both just have been, that's really just stuck oh, with us. Okay. I hope I can get through that without crying. But well, that's what I never expected to cry reading a book, which I, you know, I thought uh, I loved her. She's funny. And I'm sitting here crying in your, at your book. And it's so oh beautiful. God. She is like such an amazing person. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's easy to be gracious, you know, when your dress is beautiful and you're at a party and there's, you know, someone delightful and charming me with an accent to flirt with. Like, then it's really easy to be like generous and kind, you know, it's when things are hard. I mean, that's, that's when it counts, you know, uh, that's, that's when it, it, that's when you practice it, you know, because if you're just practicing when it's easy, then you have no capacity. You're not building your capacity to do it. Um, and so I, Mary, Miss Mary, I remembered all the way back from my college days in New Orleans because she worked at the Rite Aid that was right sort of kitty corner from my dorm uh, in New Orleans. And I just remember her being this like lovely, friendly person. And I was in there all the time because I smoked cigarettes. So, you know, I, <laughs> I was always in there getting like either cigarettes or like whatever horrible other substances I would put in my body, you know, like Cheetos. Um, and I was just going to say Cheetos and chapstick. Uh, I was thinking Red Bull, but I think they're all in the same aisle. You know, I am to this day, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like sometimes I do get my food at a seven 11. So I'm not fully adulting yet by any stretch of the imagination, but anyway, so I, so I was kind of in new Orleans, um, giving some talks and also doing some interviews for the book. And I just happened to stop in that drugstore and I remembered Miss Mary and I don't know why, but like something in me was like, you know what? I just want to, I just want to talk to her. Like she has such a lovely way here, here I am 12 years later. I still remember how like nice and kind and sweet she was to everyone. And I just want to talk to her. And I had no idea, like when we sat down to talk about graciousness, um, her story, which is, I mean, it's, you, mu- 
Do you mind if I read it a little bit? What do you think? Is that okay? No, that's it. It really is so beautiful how you did it. I was delighted to see Miss Mary still behind the counter of an uptown Rite Aid in New Orleans. Mary is graciousness embodied, and she radiates that kindness to everyone who walks through that door, to everyone at her church, to everyone she meets. She chooses every day to turn her face toward the sun, toward goodness. She has every valid reason a human can have not to have not made this choice, and yet she always does. And then you go on to tell her story, and I'll just read a bit from it. And it says, I got married at 24 and it was 10 years before I got pregnant. I prayed so hard every day. I prayed that the Lord would get me pregnant. When I got pregnant, I carried that baby so well, no swollen feet, nothing. When I did get to the hospital, it wasn't about two hours until that baby boy was born. That was my first child, Louie, who was born in 1971. And the next thing I know, 1972, I got pregnant again, another boy. That was John John. In 1975, I had another boy, Tutu. My husband said, we can't be supporting all these kids, so they tied my tubes. I asked God for one thing, and he gave me a whole lot more. I had a miscarriage, and then I'd had three beautiful boys, and he let me keep them for six years and enjoy them. Then he took them home. While drunk driving, her husband was in an accident, and all three of her sons were killed instantly. And then just the last paragraph I'll read, it said, I had all three of these little coffins around the altar, and it just, it was something. It was overwhelming. My people came from North Carolina, but they didn't know what to do. So I had to pick out all the little outfits. Um, And there's more that goes on from there, but just, I mean, that's so overwhelming. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it is, it really, it is overwhelming. And just to sit with her and she had brought scrapbooks to show me pictures and like I was just thinking it was going to be like well I you know I I just like to see all the students and you know and all of a sudden she's telling me the story and you know I mean it is so heartbreaking but it's also so beautiful because you know right after this part of the story I'm I'm not a mother I I don't fully know I don't think any most any of us know what what that's like you know knock on wood but she said that like, she just got in bed and, or lay down on the couch and she's like, all right, well, I'm ready to die. Like, God, you took them. You can take me. And she just stayed there. And eventually her, I want to say her doctor came around and he's like, well, you're not dying. So you may as well just get up and live. And I guess a sense of like peace and calm came over her. And I mean, and, and that was not, that wasn't, and, and she forgave her husband, you know, and she loved him very much. And he was actually killed in an altercation with a neighbor shortly after Hurricane Katrina. Um, and she forgave that neighbor too. And she says like when she has college students, you know, Tulane or Loyola kids come in and, you know, they're sulking because it's rainy or they're hungover or whatever. And they're like, it's, it's a bad day. And she's like, and I just want to tell them it is not a bad day because every time you meet someone, you have a chance to touch them with your goodness. You have a chance to, you know, let God shine through you and shine through them. You know, she's, she's a deeply faithful person. And it, it was just astonishing. She is an extraordinary human. It's just really inspiring because it's just, I loved the idea of it not being your situation. And, you know, hopefully, you know, all, all three of us and hopefully everyone listening um, hasn't had to have that kind of, hasn't had to have that kind of level of trauma. But, you know, we've all have our stuff. Like we all have a reason we could choose to be bitter. We all have a reason we could choose to not smile or, you know, I don't know anybody anything. And yeah. And you're right. It's just a totally different way to live and a totally different way to to interact and, and make your mark on the world. And and to choose it again and again, you know. Um, and and I think it is I think it is a choice, you know, because every day, like. You know, you, you we get to choose what we do, we get to choose how we interact with people, we get to choose whether, you know, we're going to make our interactions cursory or whether we're going to like look that person in the eye and smile and say, how's your day been? Or, oh my gosh, it's busy in here. Just whatever to like, let that person know like, Hey, you're a human and I see you. Right. Uh, well, you, you did that and you were able through everything you've done to tell Miss Mary's story. And I just, so thank you for sharing that with us and for sharing that with our listeners. And we just, um, 
It's really inspiring. Okay, so we are going to lighten it up because I know we don't have too much time with you. Um, No, I mean, it it is. It's like that's the real stuff, though. And that's when graciousness matters. And I think that's the important part. But just to we have we only have a few minutes with you. So we want to we are the home hour. And you Mm -hmm. do have quite a bit in your book on hostessing, house guesting, house guesting, which we also use as a verb. Um, And so uh, so Graham and I talked I'll talk a lot about the show and you have a whole chapter here on how to have a gracious home. And I love the adjectives that you set up. You have a list of adjectives that apply and do not apply to having a gracious home. So can you give us the cliff notes on what we must do to have a gracious home and frankly, what we're allowed to just let go? Oh my gosh. Um, okay. So a gracious home is not, it's, it's comfy. Like you go in and there's comfy, squishy, sunny, happy places to sit. And maybe it's a little bit cluttered, but I find that like one thing that I noticed again and again when I was in homes interviewing is it's like the eye lands on interesting things again and again. Like my friend Nora said that when she's decorating and she has an exquisite house, when she's going through her house, like if she's walking up the stairs, she will see where her eyes land and then she'll put a little neat thing there so that someone else, when they're walking up her stairs, will see that. Ooh, I Um, love that. We got an interior design tip. Wow. You heard it. You heard it at the home hour, ladies. (laughs) You did. You, oh, can I give her a plug? Because she has a, a wonderful, wonderful blog. It's called Nora's Nest. And yeah. it's N-A. And then her Nora's Nest. And it is, she's on Instagram. You can find her. She, she has exquisite taste. And we'll link to it in the show notes I think for like, sure. Oh, please do. Please do. Because it's wonderful. And she's all the way through the book. She is all, the very last thing I will tell you will be a Nora quote. But um, it should not be like, have that, you know, sometimes you go in a house and it is so sterile and clean that you can tell that the person is just like watching what you touch. Yes. Oh, yes. so annoying. Black afterwards and like, you know, rid all traces. Um, that is not a comfy home. I think it's really important. You know, I actually, I was, I was on, um, house hunters a few days ago, which was such a funny experience, but you know, on HGTV, they always talk about an open concept kitchen. I want a closed concept kitchen because I want to not worry about cleaning up or doing dishes while people are in my house. I want them to have fun and I want to be with them. Oh my God, Um, Kelly, you've just like ruined. I mean, people listen to what you're saying. You must guard your words. (laughs) All these... (laughs) All these open kitchens that everyone just created, they're going to be like, contractor, put up that wall. <laughs> oh, no, I, like I, I have a great little kitchen, but it's it's in its own area. It's not like open to everything in the house. So it's like if we're having dinner, like I can just leave the dishes there and turn off lights and be like, I'll get a later. Who cares? Um, comfy places to sit. Um and with couches, it is, it is such a, it's such a fine line to walk, to find a couch that is really comfy and not hideous and not $3,000. Like, I feel like that's one of those like triangle pick too, you know? Very true. The couch um, is the great, the great find. Yeah, it's, it's tough, but I, I like to have lots of like sort of different little seating areas around the house. So if I'm having a party, like I want to, I want people to be sitting in groups of like three or five, you know? Um, so I try to make sure that that is going on. And mostly I think it's so important. I think a lot of times when we're thinking about having people over, we're thinking about like, how does the house look? Like, what is this person going to see? And I think it's just much more important to think, how is this person going to feel? Um, and again, to go back to Nora and her mom, who are both so amazing. Um, Nora's mom, whose name is Mary Jane. And again, I can't see her accent, but she was saying, well, when I have a party, I just love... I just want people to feel like a star, like a million bucks. Like I am so happy that you're here. And it doesn't even have to be anything special. It could just be carving pumpkins and having a slice of pizza, but I'm going to make a cute little, you know, name tag or craft for everyone. And when I'm hosting, I like to put more thought into rather than like, okay, are these baseboards really like, could I perform tiny beetle surgery on them? I think it's more important to think like, (laughs) what kind of, personalized thing can I do? You know, can I make everyone cute name cards or can I cook someone's favorite dish or whatever it might be? I love that. And I think sometimes giving people a job when they walk into, um, I remember when we lived in DC, we had someone who probably was way, way, way too cool to be at our little like sad apartment coming over. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it was just one of those, like you could tell they were doing a favor to maybe our family by giving us their time to come over. And I'm, and it was, you know, we didn't know them and I'm not going to say the person's name. And anyway, the person walked in and I said, Hey, we're out back dying Easter eggs. And my two-year-old's like up to his arms and Easter egg die. Could you just get on that? We're going to need you to jump right in. And I got four more <laughs> eggs to die, you know, <laughs> four dozen more eggs. And it was like, wait a minute. Nobody's ever asked me to, you know, roll up my sleeves. I was not expecting this, you know? No, um, it's fantastic. And, you know, and having, even if it is like a little bit of a frazzled moment, like, you know, four-year-olds, you know, Easter egg die, like you laughing it off and being like, oh my God, it's ridiculous. Come on in. Like that is so much better than, you know, when you, a hostess or a host opens a door and you can tell that they were, are like on the verge of a meltdown. Like you see the madness flickering in the eyes and you're like, oh, it's going to be fun. You've got the 15 minute warm up period where everyone feels awkward. We've talked about this a lot on the show. We're like, where do you put your purse? What should you do? Where do you stand? Do you get your drink? Like, what do you do? 15 minutes of just weirdness until everyone kind of chills out and comes down a little bit and you get your groove. Mm -hmm. Totally. But, but those people who sort of flay themselves about like how horrible everything is and how messy their house is and all those things, like nobody is going to be able to ever chill out because the, the tone flows from the host, you know, and, oh, and one last, uh, one last house tip that I love. Uh, I think that people should match their houses and vice versa. What do you mean? Tell us more. Okay. So I, I think it's really important to like, look at your own personal style you know, like what colors do you wear? Do you like really formal things? Do you like mod things? Do you like sort of flowy drapey things? Um, cause if you come into my house, it looks kind of like me and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the cool thing about that is that, you know, like, and, but I'll go into my friend Elizabeth's house, for example, and she is this like amazing pioneer woman. And she has all this like bananas, old taxidermy that her family brought over on the Oregon trail and you know (laughs) yeah and and it's like so amazing and it's full of old books and weird antiques and stuff and you know and it it looks like her and and it's like her house is an extension of who she is and you know homes that I really love I I don't think it doesn't have a lot of like sort of mass-produced like decorative tchotchkes it has things that say something about the person, you know, or about places they've been or about things they love. And I think that I, I love being in people's houses. Like it is, it is the perfect combination of like loving interior design and just being nosy. And, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> and I think if you think about like, you know, like historically your favorite homes that you've been in, like the ones that you have that amazing emotional connection to, I'll bet they're like full of that person or that family's energy. Yeah. Mine are all old people's homes because I just resident. I like, I feel like they put out more of their old stuff. And so I'm always happier in older people's homes. So really, really old people. I love Lily Poulter. Like I wear tons, ton of Lily. Lily's like my favorite. It just makes me happy. So bright and colorful. And we can play in my daughter's room, Lily Poulter camouflage because she's got (laughs) Lily, everything, Lily shower curtain, Lily curtains, Lily um bedspreads and then I'll put her in a lily dress and I'll say go hide and it's so <laughs> and all the lily camo runs together um, it's amazing that is the most southern thing I have ever heard in my life <laughs> and I was in a sorority so kudos oh. that is amazing she's training yeah. she's training hard um okay. really true well on that note we yes, need Kelly, to be- we've got to wrap this up we <laughs> love talking to you and I just want to read one paragraph from your book for our listeners before we wrap up because I just think oh. it summarizes the entire book and your entire philosophy. Every single time you make a decision to be gracious, you have done, well, I would say your fair share, but that implies again that this is something we have to do. We don't. We get to do it. We get to move forward in time and space, scattering patience and kindness and compassion behind us like flower seed, while knowing that we may never see that flower open its face to the sun. I love that. I mean, just that that's what we're leaving people with, kindness and, and a good feeling and just thoughtfulness and an attention to other people's needs and knowing that they're human. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's so good. It's so good for you to do it. It's good for me. It's good for all of us, you know, it's, and the world needs it. So 
you know, we all get to choose. Love it. Thank you again, Kelly. It's been a treat. Kelly Williams Brown, the author of Adulting How to Become a Grown Up in 468 Easiest Steps, and today's topic, Gracious. Thanks so much for listening, and everyone, welcome home. <laughs>